All right, awesome. Amen. Um, yeah, we definitely need the mic. I don't know how anybody else feels, but right now, I, uh, the allergies are killing me. I lost my voice yesterday. I, I felt like a zombie the last couple of days. I'm just moving back, and so this is my first spring back to Atlanta. And so if my voice just dies, then we'll end the sermon right there. Uh, but hopefully the, the speakers can allow for all of us to be able to be here together and make it through the next 30 minutes vocally. But it is good to be together. You know, it's good to be together as a community, as a family. And, you know, every Sunday, if, if you're new here, every Sunday, we actually have a part of our family that, that meets uh, together. And so right now our West Cobb Smyrna group is having an outdoor service. I envy them a little bit. I mean, it's beautiful outside. It's, it's perfect. But they're out there. They're having a great time celebrating Palm Sunday uh, so that we all can be here. And it's really great as we're a growing families, we continue to grow. We, uh, we continue to have to do these things because, you know, space and things like that. But it's good to be together. Happy Palm Sunday. As I know Chase said, this is such a crazy thing that two, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem as king. And we get to be able to live under his authority and within his kingdom because of that. And next Sunday is Easter, which is going to be awesome as we, you know, he comes to the, the culmination of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But today we're, we're still going through the Sermon on the Mount. And so we've been going through it for this whole year so far. And, and today, the last four, five weeks, we've been talking about the, the, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And so last week, Jeff talked about you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Before that was, you've heard it said, you know, the, the oaths. And before that was, was the one about divorce. And we talked about adultery and lust. We talked about anger. And so today is actually the last admonition of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the last you've heard it said. And then, we're, there's, it, then we'll be halfway through. It'll be great. <laughs> but so it's actually a really interesting you have heard it said. If you would, go with me to Matthew 5. Oftentimes we have slides and, and visuals for us, but sometimes it's good to just have none of that, just to be a little analog, just be able to look at the scriptures and talk about it without a bunch of other stimuli taking away our attention. So today we're, we're just going to be here, we're going to be in the scripture, we're going to talk in Matthew 5 and verse 43. It says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles, do they not do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You hear it? This is the last you have heard it said. And this is actually a little bit different from the other you have heard it said. Because this one isn't actually in the Bible. 
The other ones you've heard it said, you know, do not commit adultery, but I say do not look at a woman lustfully. That's in the scriptures. But here it says you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we should hate our enemy. The scripture actually, if you go in and you look at it, it says love your neighbor. And then it spends the next few chapters talking about how to treat our enemies. And it's with love. It talks about how we should love the foreigners and the exiles. How we should treat those in the neighboring countries. That's actually what it says. But over time, over hundreds of years, the rabbis of the time decided to take this verse. Okay, love your neighbor, which we would cons- they would consider their, the, the fellow Jews, the fellow Hebrews. But everyone else you can hate. So Jesus taking this teaching is no That is never what God wanted to say. It's not, hey, you've heard this and now we're going to go deeper. He's actually like, God never said that. It's love your neighbor and love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I don't know about you, but I am no stranger to enemies in my life. I'm a, uh, my, my father is mostly German and they came over to build, my ancestors came to America to build the Erie Canal and they, you know, they're very, you know, they're, they're farmers and small town people and they're, you know, if, they're exactly what you would picture as, you know, a Midwestern farmer or small town people. They're stubborn and don't smile, but they're generally nice, you know, but, <laughs> and my name's Kendall Albert. I didn't say that. At least that's what I thought my name was for the first 20 years of my life. But about 15 years ago, uh, my grandma, you know, did a lot of research and they, they took all these stories and found out that there was a big feud, like a mini little war or battle that my family fought in. And what happened as we dug into it, we learned that there was some neighbor, I don't know what they mean by neighbor, but a few miles down the road who, who would never call us by the right last name. So my last name is actually Albert, Albert, and they kept going, oh, it's the Alberts. And so my family went to war and annihilated those people because they couldn't say our name right. And here I am, and I can't say my own last name right. You know, my grandpa, Midwestern, stubborn guy, he... He had plenty of enemies. On his wedding day, some guys who didn't like him from his high school time kidnapped him, put him in the trunk of their car, drove him out of town, stripped him, and tied him to a tree. My grandpa's friends saw what was happening, got in their car, chased after, found him, brought him back, and he got married, and it was great. But that's an enemy, you know? I don't know why, but they did not want him to get married that day. And then I think about, I lived in Boston for a while. Is there any Bostonians here? A few of us, okay, so you'll get this. So when I, when I moved up there, I would see everybody wearing their Boston Red Sox hat. I'm like, oh, you're a, you're a Red Sox fan. And every time, without fail, it was, yeah, I hate those Yankees. And what I learned very quickly is there are no Red Sox fans. There are just people who hate the Yankees and happen to live in Boston. 
that they don't like the they don't like the Red Sox. It's not what they like. They just are all together realizing the Yankees are the worst. And I was like, I can get on board with that. So I became a Bostonian very quickly. You know, maybe when you hear to love your enemies, you think of, oh, it's it's that person. Maybe you're, there's some people in your life and. And you're like, I, I, they are my enemies. They are, they are out to get me. And we are, we are battling and feuding. But for most of us in our society, that's probably not what you think of. We live in a very special, unique time in human history. With the rise of technology and social media, we have found it easier to disassociate with people we disagree with and never see them again. And so most of our enemies, most of the people we go, oh, those are enemies, are very ambiguous ideas or groups that we've never interacted with. That most of the time when we think about, oh, who's trying to take us out or who's trying to take you out, you know, who's trying to ruin your life, we don't think, oh, it's Garrett. You know, we think... He's right there. We think, oh, it's this political party and their agenda trying to ruin my family. You know, or it's this system that I live in that's trying to ruin our society. You know, or it's this ideology or, you know, maybe it is a person, but you've never, you know, maybe it's, it's Bill Gates, you know, and whatever he's doing. Whatever it is, it's, it's not someone you interact with. It's this person or thing or idea that's super far away, that we have no connection with. Maybe for some of us, it's someone on social media, it's like a real person on social media that you actually have never met also. It's this person who keeps posting things you disagree with, and you're like, that's my enemy, because they just, every time I, I go on my Facebook and they're there, and they make my life horrible. You know, this is the time we're living in. And for a lot of us, we can go defriend, right? We can just move on. For some of us, and you might not know this, but for some of us, it could just be a bot trying to troll you, right? It could just be a computer program made to spew out things you don't like. And it has like a name next to it, or you're like, oh, it's this guy. That's not a real person. It's just a robot meant to ruin your life. And so we live in this society. So how do you love the ambiguous and the distant and the intangible? It's so difficult in our time. And I want to make a side point that doesn't really have to do with this. But for those of us who are like, yeah, my enemy is online. Please stop having arguments online. And we'll get into this a little bit, but there is no benefit if you're going to see what, what your friend ate for dinner last night and, or, you know, to see some pictures of where someone went on vacation and you see someone and they write, you know, oh, blah, 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 something you disagree with or something that's false. Don't engage. It's not benefiting anyone. And here if we say love our enemies... We'll see this as we look down, but it says that that's what shows God the most. It's not you proving them wrong online. 
And the truth of the matter is most of us who see and read your comments aren't thinking, wow, you're so intelligent. That's not what we're thinking. We're thinking, why did you choose to engage with such foolishness? And this is, nowhere in the Bible says you can't do it. If you like, no, I have to have this, you do your thing. But from me to you, it's just, we don't need it. You don't need those discussions to be splattered all over the internet. Say, hey, let's talk on, call me. Go find them. Or just move on. But, so, but, but we have these enemies, right, that are ambiguous. And that's most of our lives. And as I've sat here and I've thought a lot, I've sat, I've looked at this passage, I've thought, okay, what, how does this relate to us? And one of the things that I've realized is that if I'm going to love my enemy, I have to go make an enemy. <laughs> that if I'm going to love someone who is hard to love, I have to have people in my life who are hard to love. Amen. That I have to be with people physically. I have to be present in the world that I'm in. And I have to engage with those who hurt my feelings or who I disagree with. And this is the opposite of the way that we live in our world. That our world has now gone, okay, love, love your neighbor, which we probably don't even do that, but love your family and the, those who you've grown up with. But everyone else, once you disagree or have any conflict, disengage. Remove them from your life and move forward. It's, per, it's super easy. A lot of us work from home. So we, we, we work at home, and then we eat at home, and our friends are at home, and that's our entire world if we want it to be. And so we have to learn, if we want to really love our enemy, we have to learn to go out of our way to live amongst people so as to make enemies so that we can love them. For some of us like me, making enemies is easy. You're a little brash, you're a little straightforward. For others, maybe you need to make meet a lot more people. But we have to learn to turn off the TV, to put our phones down, to go outside our house, and to interact. I felt very convicted of this this week as I was, I was coming into my house a bunch on Thursday. And, and at about 9 a.m., I was, you know, was coming back. I saw one of my neighbors who I hadn't met yet. And this is the first time I'd seen him, and he was doing yard work. And I was like, oh, I've never met him before. And then I went back inside. And then I left, and I saw him a few hours. I was in and out. I was working. I was doing things. I saw him again. And so I went back. I was like, oh, he's still doing yard work. I was like, that's crazy. And uh, in and out, a few hours later, I saw him again. And I was like, I should talk to him. And then I didn't. And by the time it was dinner time, he was finishing up, and I never talked to him. I had seen him, I think, four times at a distance that I had never seen before, and I never connected with him. I never went over and said hi. I had things to do. It wasn't like I was just sitting around staring at him all day. Like, I was doing things. <laughs> but I allowed all those things to get in the way from me being able to interact with those I'm around. 
And I don't know if we would have hit it off and become best friends or if we would have become enemies, but that was someone that I could have loved and been with. I had all those opportunities, but I never engaged with those I was, I was around. Studies are showing, and there's a little bit polarizing, but that in your lifetime, you will interact with somewhere between 90,000 and 43 million people in your lifetime. Somewhere around there. But the general consensus, <laughs> the general thought is about 3 million people in your lifetime that you'll interact with. That there are 3 million people that you pass by, that you see, that maybe you say hi to, that you wave to, that take your order, whatever it is, about 3 million people in the 73 years that you'll be alive or whatever. That's the average time that people are alive. You're like, what? Like, that's just the average amount of lifespan of Americans. Um, <laughs> some of us are killing that number. You're awesome. Um, you're doing great. But are we engaging with those people? With those three million people in your lifetime, are you engaging with them? Or is it person after person you're pushing out of your life? I, I don't have time for enemies. I don't have time to disagree. I don't have time for conflict. I don't have time for any of these things. to keep them out of my life so I can be like Jesus. <laughs> this is what we do. This is definitely what we do as Southerners. That's the way we act. We're really nice, and then we don't talk. We have all of our judgments and all of the things that we do, and we just keep people at arm's length until they prove that they're worthy to be close to us. And this is what I do. You know, I think about, there was this guy who, when I was first coming around here, I don't know, three months into coming here to church, there was this guy who started coming out to church, and I saw him, and I go, I hate this guy. Like, and I'm judgmental, but that was my first thought. And he was wearing basketball sh shorts and a, like, see-through, like, white wife beater, you know. And he, uh, he's jumping around in the middle of service. And, and I was like, okay, like, I need to push through. And so I, like, went up. I was like, hey, I'm Kendall. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Like, my dad used to go to church here and whatever. And so he just kept, he only would talk to girls and was, like, trying to take, it was just really weird. Like, he wouldn't talk to a male, only was just hitting on girls the whole time. I was like, this dude. I just can't take it, you know? And uh, I remember Alex Jackson was like, hey, you should really love up, love up on this guy. And I was like, okay. And I tried. I tried again, and I was like, I can't do this, you know? And, and I remember he, in every interaction, I felt like every time I tried to say something, it just was worse. And I disliked this guy more, you know? And it wasn't him, it was, you know, it was probably mostly me. And I remember at one point we were at a, a campus retreat. This was when I was in college and, and it was 7 a.m. And I'm trying to eat my breakfast in silence because I'm a, you know, it's called morning for a reason. And, <laughs> and he gets on top of the table that I'm sitting at, like standing on my table and gets his face in my face. He's like, get excited about Jesus. And, and I remember clenching my fists. <laughs> And I go, get away from me now. You know, and I was like, this guy is going to be my nemesis for the rest of my life. And, 
And you know, that Jordan Massey became a different person. And you know, You know, it's funny, right? Like, this has become one of my best friends in the entire world. But it took me years because of my, because of my lack of, of God, like, because my lack of love, it took me years to become his friend. And not because of him, but it took me years because I didn't want to engage with someone that, was, that I felt like was difficult. And as I say that story, I'm thinking about all the people that I know that I'm looking at, you know, like I'm trying not to look at you right now, but I know that you've done that with me because you thought I was very difficult to love. Thank you for pushing past my abrasiveness and loving me. Let's look back at this passage. Jump down to verse 48. He, he says, love your enemies, but oh, go to verse 45. He says, so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your father who is in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Verse 48, therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We could spend a while talking about what this word perfect means and whether or not you, it's the way we see it as Americans, but we don't need to do that. As you look through this passage, what he's saying is it's not knowing your Bible better than everyone else that makes you most like your Father in heaven. It's not sinning less than the person next to you that makes you most like your Father in heaven. It's not having the most persuasive arguments that can convince people to change their their false doctrines into proper doctrines that makes you most like your Father in heaven. What makes you most like God is when you love the unlovable Because that is who God is. That's what makes God God, is that he loves those who are impossible to love. And so when we decide to love those who we feel are impossible to love, that's when we are most like God. And if you want to be a child of God, then you should love your enemies. If you want to be complete, whole, mature, perfect, like your heavenly father is, you love. That's why we love our enemy. Not necessarily because maybe someday they'll become our best friend or maybe someday like they'll love us back or you know, they'll, they'll pay us back the money they owe us, whatever. Not because of that, but because your father in heaven has spent the entire history of humankind loving his enemies. And we can look outside and we can see how he loves all of us. That the rain comes and produces crops and not just for those who have decided to make Jesus their king, but also for those who are at war against him. Both the people that we consider the most wicked on the planet and the people we can maybe consider the best, God blesses them all. And for me, God blessed me when I wanted very little to do with him. 
And in those times in my life where I say, God, you don't know what you're talking about. I know you've been around for billions of years, but you don't know what you're talking about. God, I know what I'm talking about. In my mature 33-year-old life, I figured it, this part out, that God still loved me. He still blessed me. He still helped me and guided me when I didn't want it. And he served me when I wanted nothing to do with him. Because that is what makes God special. That is the most unique part about our Father. Is that he loves those who want nothing to do with him. And want to destroy everything he's made. And that is most of our lives. That at some point, that was the way we acted. At some point, we wanted nothing to do with him. And yet he loved us. And he served us. And he worked for us. And he blessed us. And we ignored it. And so because he loved each of us so deeply, shouldn't we do the same for someone we disagree with? For someone who hurt our feelings? Maybe for someone who it seems like has chosen that their life goal is to end, to end your success. Whatever it is. Not because of them. Not because they're worthy. But because you have an incredible father who you get to be like. That is why we love our enemies. That is why we fight through when it's difficult. Not because of some end goal, but because of something that's already happened. Because your father loved you. So I want to challenge this as we close out here. Who's someone that you could love this week the way that your father has loved you that you, that you don't want like, like writing it down. Like, who's the person you don't want to write down? What's one thing you could do? Maybe it's prayer. And not the, not the like, something like, you know, God, help them to figure out how dumb they are. Not that. <laughs> you know, maybe it's, God, give them a raise. You know, help them in their life. Maybe it's making them dinner. Whatever it is, what's one thing you can do this week to be like your heavenly father? What's one person that you don't want to love and what's one thing you can do for them so that we can be mature, complete, and perfect like our heavenly father is? Amen.